Good morning, it's Sunday again. Welcome to our worship again. I was going to do this service outside, but the uh, the weather has just got a bit too cold. And so I've uh, come inside just to conduct worship again this morning. Thank you for joining us. For some of you, I know I'm your first service, but for others, I'm your second service this morning or third or even fourth. But that's what friendship means. And our desire is just to share together uh, with each other on these Sunday mornings. So thank you for, for joining us here with the congregation at First Balamoni. Our prayer for everyone is that the Lord would speak to us of Jesus and our Saviour today. I want to thank Gary, who's going to read to us God's Word, and as always, Leslie and her son Jack, who plays the guitar, for leading us so meaningfully in our worship this morning. We're going to do something different tonight as a congregation. Join us for a live Zoom service in our homes, which will begin at 6.30. For some of you, this is a new experience. And so if you wait to the end of this recording, Matt Cordner has done a recording about how to connect tonight and some helpful suggestions about what to do. And so if you're not sure about the Zoom app and how, what it means, you've never done it before, just follow his um, video at the end of this service. As I'm thinking of words, just to bring our thoughts to our great God this morning, I want to share these words from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It begins with that there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven, and then it goes through the different seasons of life. But then in verse 11, we come to these words, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We have a longing for eternity. And certainly when you feel vulnerable and the, the foundations of your life have been shaken in a way that for many of us, they have these last days. We feel our vulnerability. The world feels its vulnerability. We look up to God and we start praying and asking him, what does it all mean? Where are you? What's my life about? And that's what worship means every Sunday, this pattern, this rhythm that we give ourselves to, that every seven days we take a day of rest, a time to worship, a time to reflect. And that is what we are doing now. So let, us, let me lead you in prayer as we ask for God's help and leading and voice to speak into our lives today. So let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, these past nine weeks have been disruptive and at times disheartening. Thank you for understanding our frailty and fears that we have expressed to you. Thank you for reminding us that you intend joy to be our traveling companion all the days of our lives. So thank you for these last weeks when we have been able to have unrushed daily walks, for the warmth of the sun and the singing of the birds, Thank you for phone calls from dear friends and for the prayers of our church family. Thank you that Jesus' hand and heart are everywhere when we just take the time to linger, to listen, to look and to pray. On this day, Lord, this Sunday when you command us to rest so that we can worship and enjoy the good things of life, 
Speak to us, Lord, of your love given to us in Jesus and for the hope that extends beyond the last sunset of this life. We ask your forgiveness today for any wrongs that weigh upon us. We come to you in the name of Jesus, our great soul healer. But we know his healing extends to every part of us. So for those who struggle in any way and look to you for help, hear our prayer for them, Lord. Come, comfort and guide all of us today. Lord, you are our shelter and our guide. Come and fill our hearts today, for we pray in Jesus' name. Matthew 5, verse 38 to 48. Teaching about revenge. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You've heard the law that says love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives us sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there, there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Amen. So we come to these very famous words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. I want to tell you about Musab Hassan Youssef, who was born in 1978. He was the eldest son of one of the seven founders of Hamas, uh, the organization that would fight for Palestinian freedom in Israel. At the age of 10, he was arrested for throwing rocks at Israeli security forces. And throughout his teenage years, he was in and out of detention and prison. But his life began to question his Islamic faith on a number of occasions. One of the questions arose because he found that Israeli security forces treated him in a much more humane way than Hamas would have treated their prisoners. Secondly, he saw how badly Hamas treated their own people. But the real turning point began on the day that he was walking through Jerusalem and he came to the Damascus Gate and he found himself in the possession of an Arabic New Testament. And he started to read it because it was a New Testament, obviously the first book with Matthew's Gospel. And so he just began to read through Matthew's Gospel. He began to read about Jesus, not filtered through Western Christianity or TV news, but Jesus as he really was by these eyewitnesses accounts. And he could not get away from the revolutionary nature of Jesus teaching. And as he came to where we have got to, he just stopped in his tracks when Jesus said, love your enemies. In his book about his life called Son of Hamas, this is what he said when he read these words. That's it. 
I was thunderstruck by these words. Never before had I heard anything like this, but I knew that this was the message I had been searching for all my life. And that was the start of his journey in becoming a follower of Jesus. Reminds me, when you read stories like that, that followers of Jesus that we are, are part of a revolution. We are a revolution of God's love in the world. This God who made the world is a God to all. Uh, and Jesus says here, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, God, the God of Jesus Christ, the God that Jesus is proclaiming, whose kingdom is coming and he's the king of that kingdom. He, he's a God who gives people what they do not deserve. He gives them grace. He gives them an opportunity. He gives them hope. He gives them forgiveness. So Jesus says that we as people of his kingdom are to be like his king, to show God's love and grace to the world. And we are ambassadors of this kingdom of love. And Jesus, as the king of this kingdom, leads the way in what it means to love in this way. He's the one who will turn the other cheek. He will die in love for God's enemies. Jesus began these six illustrations by telling us how our righteousness should surpass that of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. And so we, we, are, we are reading here our, how our righteousness should go beyond them in this regard. And there's really two, two things that Jesus is teaching us here. He's asking us to be a servant to anyone and he's asking us to be a friend to everyone that we meet. And that's what these two illustrations uh, are, are teaching us. First of all, about being a servant to anyone. In Exodus 21, Moses wrote, if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. This Old Testament law simply said, if your cow breaks through the fence, goes into your neighbor's cornfield and damages ears of corn, then you owe your neighbor the corn. You simply make it fair compensation. The neighbor can't retaliate by killing your cow or burning down your barn. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth your response is restricted to the level of the offence that's been caused. Now, this law was an excellent way of eliminating tribal warfare. Suppose someone cuts off my brother's foot and I get my family together and we burn down their house in our anger and do far worse things than losing a foot. Immediately, the initial uh, violence has been escalated. And then this other family may feel honour bound to butcher both me and my family. Where then will the violence end? See, the problem with the human heart is that it does not know when to stop when it gets angry and hurt. The human heart only feels vindicated when you do something worse to the person who has wronged you and then it stops there. So this law was to put a check on what you could do back. Your retaliation could not be worse than what was done to you. 
So on this mountainside on this day, Jesus stands up and says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Don't retaliate, Jesus is saying. How are we to take Jesus' words? Does it mean that no Christian should ever join the police force or the army because they may have to resist an evil person? Does it mean that when a beggar asks you for money, for food, and you know it's for their alcohol addiction, you should give it to them? That's not what Jesus means at all. And the four examples he, he gives in explanation explain this. His first example is how we respond to insult. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, if most people are right-handed, the only way you can hit somebody facing you on the right cheek is with a backhanded slap. And that was the ancient way to really insult a person. You gave them a backhanded slap. So Jesus is saying, abandon your right to retaliate, take the insult. And then he gives an illustration about how we respond to being uh, ripped off. Someone wants you to, to sue you and take your tunic. Let him have your cloak as well. Here is a someone's being taken to court uh, for their, their tunic. It's a long shirt garment which would have been used in everyday, as everyday clothing. Jesus says, give them your cloak as well. Now, in the Old Testament law, the poor were protected under law from having their cloak taken from them because it was their blanket at night. It was their shelter from the wind and the rain in the day. So you could not deprive a poor person of their, their heavy coat over them. It's a very unlikely that someone would take someone to court to fight over their, their tunic, their shirt. Again, Jesus is using exaggeration to teach a principle in righteousness. And what he's saying is, abandon your right to your possessions. And the third example is responding to forced labour. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. A, a Roman soldier could command you to carry their luggage for a mile. Jesus says, basically, if a Roman soldier asks you to carry their luggage for a mile, you take it for two. In other words, abandon your rights under the law. And the fourth example is responding to borrowing. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Abandon your rights to your money. Be generous. So what's the connection between all these examples? Who acts like this? Who has to live like this? Servants do. Servants have no rights. They just obey. And Jesus is saying to his followers to forgo their rights for the sake of others. Abandon your right to retaliate, take the insult. Abandon your right to your possessions, give them more than they want from you. Abandon your right to the law, go beyond what is required. Abandon your right to your money, give whatever is needed. What Jesus is saying, that we are to be a servant to anyone. Do what you can to help others, because Jesus is like that. Jesus is the only motivation for living in this way, because it's his kingdom that we are coming into, and he is the king of it. Years ago, the Tsar of Russia 
uh, had a dear friend who died and the friend gave him his son to keep and to raise. The Tsar raised this young man, educated him, clothed him and did everything to look after him. The young man went into the army and he became an, an accountant to a very large section of the army. But he began to get into gambling, began to embezzle funds uh, to make good his debts because of his gambling addiction. One night he's sitting looking at the books and he realises the game is up. It's not going to be long before he's going to get found out. He sat there with his gun and he said the best thing to do would be to kill myself because I won't be able to live with the dishonour. He was drinking heavily in order to get up the nerve to kill himself but what happened was he drank so heavily he passed out before he could. Now the Tsar was the kind of man who liked to spy on people and particularly his army. He used to dress up in a corporal's uniform and go about in the army camp. He would hear what people are saying, find out what things are going on and find out what the morale was with his troops. So he came into the room where this young officer had passed out over the books. He looked at the books and began to realise what had happened. He added up how much the debt was and he wrote out a note that said, I will make good this amount of the debt. And he signed it, the Tsar. He took a signet ring and he stamped it and he left. It's a true story. The young man woke up later out of his drunken state and found the note. He couldn't believe it. He said, the Tsar has been here and he has seen everything and he still loves me. Not only that, he accepts me. Not only that, he put his seal to my cause and my need. Here is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into this world incognito as a man. And he has come in and he has looked into every heart. And there are things in my heart and your heart that you would not want anybody ever to know about. Do you know what? He still loves you and he still loves me. And when we receive him as saviour and king, all of those things, all of those debts, all of those things that hold us are wiped away. Imagine that soldier waking up, that feeling of what sat before him. He was almost about to take his life because he could not see any way out of it. And he sees the the, the promise from the czar, the signature and the seal there. How would he feel? How do we feel about Jesus? Does that move you? Because if it moves you, you will be enabled to turn the other cheek to insult uh, for his name. You will gladly be a servant in the kingdom to anyone who needs help because you are caught up in something much more wonderful than just yourself and your own needs and your problems. You are caught up into a love movement that has touched your own life. So that's what Jesus means in these words when he's asking us to be a servant to anyone who has need because that's the kind of God he is to us and he wants to show that to the whole world. Secondly, be a friend to everyone. In Luke chapter 19 verse 18, we read, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. Now Jesus says here, 
You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But there is nowhere in the whole of the Bible where you will find the words that God, the, the, the word that the Bible teaches, hate your enemy. So where did they get it that they referred, that Jesus has to refer to it as a law? Here is why. They were convinced that Leviticus 19 only defines neighbour as a fellow Israelite. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbour, your people, your, your neighbour people as yourself. So therefore they got permission to hate their enemy because they said my neighbour is only someone who is in my own people. Jesus stands up again and he says, you've heard that it was said, love your enemy, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus wants our enemies to become our neighbours that we love. And he tells us the result of such love when he says that you will be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. So if you want into the eternal life of God's kingdom, then love and pray for your enemies to become your neighbours. We have to live this text so we need to confess who is our neighbour, who is our enemy, so that we can begin to love them as our neighbour. We are so prone to defining love according to our preferences. But for those who follow Jesus, love is not about our preferences. Love is about his preferences, and that is everyone. So the way to live this text is to be a friend to everyone. So if you have an enemy, greet them. I'm so glad to see you. How are you doing? Disarm them by doing the thing they least expect. Do good to them. Make the first move. Refuse to speak evil of them. Because if you're loving and praying for them, then that means you, ha you, you won't speak evil of them. You can't criticise your enemies and love and pray for them at the same time. You can't do both. You're either going to do one or the other. Jesus wants us to turn enemies into neighbours. Because that's what he's doing. Who's at his dinner parties? Tax collectors and sinners. Who's to, whose homes does he go to? Those are people that they refuse even to um, come under the, uh, the shadow of them lest they be contaminated by their sinfulness. Why is Jesus doing such things? Because he, God loves them and he wants to make God's enemies into friends, God's friends. And so he is a friend to them. In my student days in Aberdeen, one Sunday, the preacher at the church I went to was Paul Negrut. He had lived for many years under the communist Ceausescu regime in Romania. He'd been sentenced to prison for being a minister and in prison he was persecuted and one day he was just discouraged and unhappy. And that evening an officer in charge called him and said, uh, Negrit, are you a Christian? And he said, yes sir, I am a Christian. The officer in charge pulled him closer and said, Paul, my parents are Christians, but nobody knows. 
this is the secret of my life. If my bosses find out that I'm a, from a Christian family, they're going to dismiss me or maybe kill me. But then he said, Paul, I am the only officer in charge tonight. There is nobody around. I am the only one watching over the camp. I will give you two hours of freedom. Go somewhere. But if you're not back in two hours and somebody comes to inspect the camp and you're not here, you, knew, you know that they'll shoot me. Two hours of freedom from a concentration camp. Where would Paul go? He says he remembers a man who'd spent 17 years in jail for Jesus and he had overcome torture and hatred. For 17 years, this man had been tortured every day. Sometimes they put, them, they put him into the pit latrine of the prison. He would be placed in the courtyard and all the other prisoners would come in and spit on him and kick him and asked him to give up Christ. And every time after being tortured for those 17 years, he would go into his room and write a poem and a song for Jesus. So Paul remembered this man lived just a few miles over the hill. So he ran to this man's house, expecting to see a shining face, expecting to see a man who would be like an angel, who would comfort him and strengthen him through his time in prison and sadness. So Paul ran to the house and opened the door, but he did not meet a shining face, but a bleeding face. He saw open scars and blood coming down his face. Paul asked him what had happened and he said, the secret police have just left my house. They've searched the house and they beat me up. Paul was so angry. And this older man, this older Christian man saw that he was angry as well. And he said to Paul, Paul, we're not here to complain. We are here to praise our Lord. Let us kneel down and pray. And the man started to pray and he prayed with excitement and love. He prayed for his enemies. He prayed for the communists. He prayed for the secret police. He asked God's blessing over them. He asked God's forgiveness for them. He asked God's love to flow over their families. And after his prayer, he said to Paul, Paul, they come twice a week to torture me. Whenever they torture me, I look straight into the eyes of the secret policeman and I say to them, Sir, I love you. I want you to know that I love you. I tell him, sir, if we see each other before God's throne of judgment, I want you to know that I love you. But sir, if you are going to be eternally lost, I want you to know that you will not be there because I hate you. You will be there because you rejected Jesus' love and you rejected my love. Sir, I love you. And the old man said to Paul, you know, one night that officer came to my house. The officer said to me, sir, I did not come to beat you. I came tonight to let you know that we will see each other in God's new world. Sir, we were going to be on the same side. Brother, your love melted my heart. And through your love, I saw Jesus' love for me and I have come to know Jesus. And then he said, I have only a few more weeks to live. The doctors have discovered that I have cancer. Within a few weeks, I'm going to go home. But before I see Jesus, I've come to ask your forgiveness. I've come to pray with you. I've come to be reconciled with you. 
And these two men got down on their knees and they prayed together. Can you see the torturer and the one tortured praying together? The officer left. A few weeks later, he died. Now I have carried that powerful sermon that day and that illustration with me down through these years. What an illustration of the love of Jesus in this man. What we learn here is that enemy love is not a magic formula to get you into heaven. What Jesus is calling us to do here is to love every human being we meet, no matter who they are. And enemy love is not justifying evil. We never say the wrong is okay, but we show ourselves to be children of God's kingdom by the way that we respond to the evil in the world. We are not like everybody else. We are God's, and this is what he is like in his world. This is what Jesus is like in his ministry. This is what he is like as he went to the cross and he died when he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. So in those words of that great hymn, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, it would still be an offering far too small because of this love that is so amazing and so divine. And it demands my soul, my life, my all. The righteousness that Jesus calls us to is a righteousness of love that extends to anyone and to everyone whatever their need. It calls us to be a servant to anyone. It calls to be us to be a friend to everyone. Because that's the love that has touched our lives in Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, this is a hard teaching for many reasons. We want an easy believism Christianity that does not ask too much of us. We're not captured by Jesus' forgiveness of us because we don't realise how spiritually bankrupt we are. We think we can walk into eternity and love the world at the same time. But we can't and Jesus is exposing the weakness of our hearts, the divided loyalties that we have. And he asks us to make a decision. Who are you following? And so these words probe our hearts and our relationships to others and to you to the core. And Lord, before we start putting up the extreme scenarios about the horribleness of enemies, help us in our own lives to take the first steps in being your faithful, loving, rejoicing disciples today by being a servant to anyone who needs us by being a friend to everyone who knows us. So Lord, help us to have the strength to surprise someone with grace like Jesus did when he accepted Zacchaeus' invitation to dinner at his house. 
Help us to astound someone with seeking their blessing when they know that they have not done good to us. Help us, Lord, to shine as the light of the world today by our every act done in your love. This is what you call us to, because this is what eternity will be full of. So, Lord, may your Holy Spirit give us joy in serving you, our great King, who has loved us, paid our debts, set us free from their weight, and as forgiven people today, Lord, we worship you. We turn away from ourselves. We forget about ourselves. We worship you and we just say that Jesus is enough for everything today, tomorrow and for eternity. Because you're a God of love and mercy. And that is what we need. Lord, hear our prayer. Bless us as individuals in the homes that we are worshipping today. And for us as a scattered congregation, as we continually think of each other in these days, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.